You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Um, I was diagnosed with a hearing issue. My brain cannot focus on two competing noises. And I want to tell you, you blessed me this morning because from that angle over there, looking this way, I heard more of you singing than those on the stage. And I want to thank you students, especially upperclassmen, who have have lived out the gospel because I was a freshman and some people like you because you worshiped, because you prayed, because you took seriously your relationship with Jesus during one of the darkest times of my life. You were there and I'm now here because of people like you. So thank you for worshiping. You've inspired me this morning. Um, In Jeremiah 29, Verse 11, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me, and you will come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I'm a huge fan of Bethel, that's no secret, and I'm really proud of being a dad of a recent Bethel grad, Kendra. I want to thank you, Sean and Barb, for inviting me here today. But I had a kind of an interesting moment as I drove onto campus with my daughter in the car. I said, hey, I think I know those students over there, and I was rolling down the window, and she goes, shh, don't. Like I was this huge embarrassment to her, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and then I saw David McCabe. Anybody know David, Professor McCabe? And I said, oh, Kendra, there's David McCabe. Now, she's a nursing student. Apparently, she doesn't hang out with religion religion professors. And she goes, David McCabe. I said, yeah, right over there. She saw him, and she said, wait, that's what he looks like? (laughs) And I don't know if she had this, you know, Gollum figure in mind or whatever it was, but I said yes. And I just, it just felt so good to be be back here to, to see some of the members of the Bethel family spend a couple of days this weekend in the area. But you've invited me to kind of kick off the series and resetting and talk about our relationship with God. I want to be honest with you this morning. I am speaking this morning from a very weary place, a spiritually um, dry place. And so I share what I'm going to share this morning humbly with the hope that you and I, as we move towards seeking God with all of our heart, we do so with the promise that there is a reset for us. His hand, his finger is on the reset button. We're that close. Paul says he's not far from any one of us. And I go on this journey with you, hopeful that you would have over these next chapel services. You would feel the love as Proverbs 8:17 says, God says, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. I pray that, that you find God at a whole deeper level 
as the other speakers follow me over the next few weeks. Pray with me if you would, please. Creator God, Heavenly Father, for those who are here who are so eager to connect with you, I pray that something I share today helps them to reset what their relationship with you can be. I pray for those who are here that are like me as, as a freshman year in college and I wasn't convinced that there's anything to this belief in God and following Jesus. I pray that you would inspire them over these next weeks to seek you and to find you like I was able to. And I pray for those today who remember a time when they were deeply connected to you, to you but this morning their walk with you is, is dangling by a thread. I pray that you would inspire them to seek you again. And I pray that you would make a difference in someone's life this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So why would you give me any time here? I, when you ask me to share, I'm like, why? Why would you do that, Sean? Um, any math majors here? Any stats and analytical people? Go ahead, raise your hand. God help you. God bless you. I'm so sorry. I'm kidding. Well, I, I did some math. My theory, just work with me here. Based upon my college chapel experience, okay, my sharing this morning has a statistical probability of being a waste of your time. Now work with me. I sat through 280 mandatory chapels over the course of four years. Out of 280 chapels, if you count the ones, if you take the ones away, where I wasn't listening due to my bad attitude about mandatory attendance at chapels, if you take away the ones where I was having girlfriend problems and I was distracted, or I was worried about the exam that's going to happen in a couple of minutes, if you take all those away, there are four that I can remember, and two of them I was the speaker at, so I'm pretty sure they probably were a waste of time, but the other two out of 280 changed my life. One of them, this was the topic. If Jesus really was and is who he said he is, what could possibly keep you from following him? That chapel sent me into a very desperate spiritual and intellectual quest for almost a year. In fact, I even made a statement to start it. I'm not recommending you do this, but I made a statement. I said, if I don't come to a confidence that there is a God, this God, and that if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, then I am walking away from all of this. I can't tell you, I can't tell you how serious I was about this. If Jesus didn't reveal himself to me, I said, I'm finished being the good kid, and I'm finished being the nice guy, and I'm going to live my life the way I wish. But I went on the journey, seriously, of seeking with all of my heart this God and this Christ, if they even were. Now listen, I wish I had some of the professors. I know we make fun of our religion and, and theology professors, but philosophy professors, but I wish I had some of them. But God was faithful. He put some people and some older students into my life who didn't give up on me, that didn't blink at my doubts, and they walked with me because I was pressing the reset button of all time for my life. 
And nine and a half months later, I have pictures to prove this, 15 pounds lighter, dark circles under my eyes, with a lot of people worried about me. A college senior that I didn't know very well walked into my freshman dorm room and he said, Jeff, I've heard about your journey. I've heard about your struggles. I've got a question for you. When will Jesus be enough? When will Jesus be enough for you? And he walked out of the room. And I pondered everything that I'd read, every conversation I'd had, all the proof that had been offered to me, all of, the, all of that. And I just laid there on my bunk bed and I said, now, now Jesus will be enough for me. And the rest of my life has been continuing to ask questions, but framing them around this, if I seek him with all of my heart, he will reveal himself to me. And Jesus revealed himself to me. He began to reveal. He, he created in me a confidence in my belief. He created even more belief. And he reconnected me with the God that I knew as a child. Even the doubting Thomases among us can today say, I seek him, I want to know. I commit to know. If it takes me five sermons in a series that you're putting together called Reset, if it takes me five years at Bethel, I'm going to know. I'm going to know for sure who I believe in. And so I share this topic with you humbly. But now that I've set the high expectation that there's a two out of 280 chance that the next 18 minutes are going to be worth your time, let's jump in, okay? Reset number one. I'd like to talk about four resets. Imagine with me four resets that are before you and I this morning. The first one is this. Imagine how much God wants this reset in our relationship with him. Now, it makes sense to ask ourselves how much we want this reset, how much we would like to have an amazing next couple of weeks, and, and, and how much I want to know him. I kind of look in the mirror but I'm asking you, first start with this. Before you look at your own heart and how serious you are about connecting with God, look at his heart first and understand, just contemplate how serious he is about the reset. No matter how much I want him, he wants me more. No matter how little interest I have in him, he has so much interest in you and in me. More than I will ever be able to want this reset, he wants to push the reset button. He does. He's given everything. And I don't know if your philosophy professors might, might correct me on this, but if it's possible for God to be emotionally invested in something, like fully, God is emotionally invested. He cares deeply that you know him. He's given everything for us to be at this moment. So start there, start with him, not with us. Start with his love for us. The joy that he has, has when we say, I'm gonna go on a nine month journey. I'm going to uh, want God to reveal himself to me. No, know the joy that comes his way. The, the, the patience, the interest, he, he knows you, he gets you, and he wants this even more than you and I. He wants to reveal himself and his son Jesus Christ to each one of us. We titled the message, Resetting Our Relationship with God, but it really is becoming aware first that God wants this relationship with us. 
And he has set the stage. He's laid all the groundwork. It's all done for us if we're just willing then to lean in and to step in. And the last song we sang really, I had not sung that song before, but as I heard you sing it, just leaning in, just being all in to say, I'm going to know, I'm going to seek, I'm going to find this God who is not far from any one of us. He doesn't have to manufacture his feelings toward us. It starts with him, not me. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse 13. God is speaking, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. He knows those plans, and he says, then you will call on me. So all the plans are in place. Everything is laid out. It's all there for us. God says, then you will call upon me. Maybe it'll be for me in the two out of 280 chapel beatings. Maybe for you it's already happened or it's soon to happen. But it'll be that moment where you realize, I'm calling out. I want to know. I want to see this God. I want to experience him. He said, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. That's the first reset. Start with God's interest in you. The second reset is this. Our ways of relating to God, and we all have ways, every human has ways to either relate to, Romans 1 through 3, or try to relate to, if there is a God, we all have ways. But our ways of relating to God must lead us to the way of relationship with God. So much is made of the ways that we connect with God. Let's call them devotional activities, whatever those are. Spiritual experiences. Many of these devotional activities are used by other world religions. Music, hours of prayer, meditation, journaling, denying oneself of material things, silence, solitude, looking to the heavens, pondering nature, memorizing holy words, listening to spiritual gurus. I mean, these are common human experiences. It's not Christian to do any one of those things. And all of those, however, are useful in connecting with God. But they are not the same as a relationship with God. Two of my friends in Manhattan in New York City spend a moment each morning walking barefoot on the grass, which is hard to find there, pondering nature. And I've seen them several times, literally, hugging a tree. The nickname tree huggers is used in a derogatory way. I don't use it in a derogatory way. I have to kind of commend them because they're pretty serious about connecting, connecting to whoever or whatever is out there. But, but they do, nature. It's not the way I, I tried it once. It was kind of cool. It really was, but it wasn't my way of relating to God. Many of us have people that we admire. Some of those people in your life might be professors or pastors or parents, I don't know. But we have people that we watch and, and they seem to have a strong relationship with God and he seems to be working in their life. So we start copying whatever it is that they're doing as they relate to God. But in Acts 17, Paul lovingly calls out 
this common human tendency that we have. And that is to make the methods the main thing. And look at, at Paul 17. He, he's been saying some crazy stuff about Jesus revealing himself to so some other people who sit around discussing crazy ideas for fun this morning. We'll call those people religion and philosophy department professors, right? They literally were. They invite Paul to their place of discussion, the men of Athens. And he says, and I'm going to go quickly here, just paraphrase, he's standing in the middle of the Areopagus, and he said, men of Athens, you are extremely spiritual people. You're very religious. I've seen all of these objects, these ways that you are connecting to the gods. But what you worship, you still don't know. There's still not that relationship, so I'm going to explain that to you. And he begins, he goes on and explain that in the methods, the temples, the things built by hand, the things that humans do in order to relate to God, they were missing something, and that was answered in the person of Jesus Christ. We are human. We find our favorite ways to reach out for God. You have them, I have them. But soon they become the idols. So the hour of prayer, which was meant to connect us with God, becomes the thing that we've now just accomplished. We spend an hour in prayer. And we can do so without it be, be to the, um, it can only be an end in itself instead of a means to an end. Or we journal, or we fast, or we go into a quiet prayer chapel. These are things that are useful to us, but they are not the end that God has for us. They are means to that end. Paul says in verse 27, we've all been put right where we are so that we would seek God and perhaps grasp for, I love one translation says, feel our way toward, we would reach out, we would try to grab a hold of him and even find him. Paul says, yet he's not far from any one of us. Those devotional activities, what I'm suggesting is we put them in our lives, but we always keep them in their proper place. They are a way to connect to God, but the only way, capital W, that we're going to connect with God is through the person his, of Jesus Christ, his words, his works, and his ways. I wish I had more time, but if you look at it, the Old Testament points to Christ. The Gospels are about Christ. The New Testament is explaining Christ and then predicting what else he is going to do in the future. The Holy Spirit is here to make him known. His story, not ours. His salvation, his vindication, his triumph over sin and death. The connection with God only comes through Jesus Christ. So I'm saying reset this. Do the spiritual disciplines. You're actually going to end this series with that, appropriately so, appropriately so. But make sure that as you are doing those activities, as you are imitating others who seem to be kind of further down the road in their walk with God, make sure you're still connecting with God himself. You're still connecting with Jesus Christ. And it's about his words and his ways, not the ways that we do these spiritual experiences. The third reset. Imagine the prayers that Christ Jesus might be praying to the Father right now on your behalf. If there's one thing I'd want you to get this morning, I want you to see this picture. Kind of feel this with me. I had this fascinating ex experience when I moved to New York City on mission. I would go to the top of our building, so it's 20 
stories high, and it kind of overlooked the, the East River. So you could see Manhattan. You could see all the way down to the Brooklyn Bridge. And if you looked far enough, the Yankees Stadium. And it's a long ways from there. But I could just see this city from the roof. And I would go up there, and I would imagine, what if Jesus were standing right here? As he looked at this city, what would the prayers be that he is praying right now to the Father for this city? And I can't tell you how many times my imagination opened up encounters with God and understandings of his love for, for this city and for the people that we were trying to reach. As if he were standing there with me, what were his prayers? But it wasn't until a few years later that I realized I should be doing that same thing for my own life, for my own friends, for my family. So think with me right now. Jesus is at the Romans 8:34. He was raised to life and he's at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He is always pleading. He is always praying for us. What's he saying? Imagine what did Jesus pray to the Father this morning for you? for your relationship with him. What did he say? What did he pray for Bethel this morning? He's always praying. He's always interceding. What's he saying? What did he pray for the person sitting next to you, your good friend? What is he praying for the people I can't stand? What is he praying for the people who can't stand me? What's he saying? Jesus said in John 14, I will do whatever you ask in my name. In other words, you can't just ask anything. But I think the best way we can understand what should I ask for from God is to think about what would Jesus be praying to the Father right now for? What would he be saying? Pray with Jesus. Maybe we can get some, some uh, wristbands. Instead of WWJD, it could say WWJP. What would Jesus pray? And here's what I think you should do occasionally. Look a friend in the eye sometime and say, I think right now what Jesus is praying for you would sound like this. He's praying for you to know the Father. He's praying for you to know him to have just like God revealed himself to me and Jesus continues to reveal himself to me, he's answering that prayer. He's praying that prayer to me, for me, and for you. Final reset is this. So as you go through the next few weeks, I'm going to encourage you to explore. This might take longer than a few weeks. It took me until about last year, I think, to say, okay, I think I've kind of got it now, and it's this. And I'm 56. I know I look a lot younger, but I am 56. Embrace the prayer life that God has given you. Don't embrace somebody else's devotional life. Embrace God. God's designed a way of interacting with you that fits you, that, that, that is going to help you get to a relationship that he desires to have with you. It's not all the same. Embrace the prayer life that God has given you. Now, I'm going to ask you not to laugh, but you're going to want to in the next couple of moments, okay? 
I grew up in extreme piety. If I'm gonna, I'm gonna describe some of the rules we followed. And I, I ask you not to laugh because a lot of the people that follow these rules do it because they really do believe this is what scripture teaches and they're doing it out of, out of a heart of love for God. But I just wanna give you perspective to what I'm gonna say as my final point this morning. You didn't work on Sunday. Women wore no jewelry. They never wore pants or shorts. Men never wore shorts, no makeup. They never cut their hair. You didn't buy anything on Sunday. You never missed church. I, I did not play football because I would have to miss Wednesday night prayer meeting and I could kick longer field goals in ninth grade than our starting kicker in high school and the coach wanted me, but that was the rule. You had to be in church. You read a certain version of the Bible now that's what I grew up in, okay? I had to like detox from the legalism. I really did, before Christ revealed himself fully to me. One of the negative aspects of that disciplined, regimented, rule-based form of, of Christianity is that for me, prayer became a task. Prayer became an obligation. And shame on me if I didn't put in my time. In fact, I remember uh, at the college I was at, they would do all-night prayer meetings. And I always had a goal of, of uh, finishing in the top 25 percentile by making it until about 4 in the morning. And that's sad to say. Now you're allowed to laugh from here on out. But I saw some of the people that God had revealed himself to. And I, I began to, to see, wait a minute, their prayer lives, are they, they seem to be enjoyable. They seem to be life-giving. And I went on a journey of saying, God, I got, to, I got to get away from that. I remember when I interviewed at the church, I became pastor of the church before Keith Kateski. Anybody know him? Um, yeah. Anybody like him? I'm kidding. Uh, Keith followed me as the pastor, and they asked me in the interview. They said, so do you, you know, tell us about your prayer life every day, your, your daily. I said, well, to be honest, I don't daily spend time with God. And they're like, What? I said, well, I spend time with him, but what you mean? I said, I've had to actually not do it every single day. I'm not recommending this for you, because if I do it every single day at the same time in the same way, I'm reverting back to something that I had escaped. I said, so Monday through Friday, I enjoy time with God. Saturday, we may or may not spend time together in that way, and on Sundays, I do something completely different. I'm just saying, God's given you a prayer life, so start with a few minutes a day doing what it is that helps you relate with him. Be in the scripture, of course. Pray your prayers, but do it in a way that gives you life and gives you freedom and actually helps you to find him. Seek him in the way that works for you. It, 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 it took me a long time to be comfortable with this point. Because listen, prayer, the way we communicate with God, it's a dance. We are not robots. There's a give and a take and a back and a forth and a listening and a commenting. Just let God relate to you in the most intimate, precious way. And don't worry about all the rules that you might be hearing in the books. At the same time, most of us need the disciplines because they get us to a place where we can then enjoy the romance. I needed someone to tell me 
you gotta buy her flowers, Jeff, even though I didn't see the point. Because once I did buy her flowers a few times and I saw the look on her face, then I wanted to buy her all kinds of gardens and buy her the garden if that's what it took. That's what prayers is to be like. And like Paul told those religion and philosophy professors in Athens, God's put us each at the time and place where we are. He has you at Bethel this week. Acts, 20, Acts 17. He has you here so that you would perhaps seek him, reach out for him, grasp for him, and find him because he's not far from any one of us. So, the other picture I want to leave you with is you might be tempted to say, I'm going to press the button. I'm going to, I want a different relationship with God. You don't have to do that. All you have to say is, I want to press the button, and God presses the button. He's, he's so ready to do it. Open your life to him over these next weeks, and imagine the prayers that Jesus is praying to you. Accept that prayer life that he's given to you, and enjoy, enjoy this relationship toward God and then with God through Christ. Pray with me. Father, we don't know what plans you have for us. As Jeremiah recorded, you know them. We can only imagine the prayers that Jesus is praying for us. But we know that you want to prosper us. You don't want to harm us. We know you plan to give us a hope and a future. And so we call upon you. We come to you. We pray to you. We listen to you. And we seek you. We want to find you. And we want to search for you with all of our heart. If you reveal our, yourself to us today in a miraculous way, we're going to be grateful. If you take this whole semester and bit by bit reveal yourself, reveal your son Jesus Christ to us, we'll be grateful. But we want it to start right now or restart for some of us. Press the button. Press the button. Reset our relationship with you. We seek you until we find you. We call upon you, know that you're listening. And we pray with your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you thank Pastor Jeff? Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.bethelluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.